HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. The great state of Wisconsin is home to the only master cheesemaking program outside of Switzerland. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, September 18th, 2019. This is the 227th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a food journalist turned founder and editor-in-chief of a new culinary industry platform, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to over-prepare. Yes, study up and know your subject better than you need to, as knowledge is key to success. Be the person in the room who has the answers and is the go-to for solutions. Being well-prepared not only brings confidence and trust, but it helps foster positive outcomes. So don't ever cut corners thinking less is more. You can never be too ready, and being ready is everything. So prepare away. That's my tip today. I'm really excited to have my guest here with me in the studio. It is Regina Veroli, the founder and editor-in-chief of Cult Epi, a culinary industry platform for people in the industry to share their voice and make a positive impact. Regina is the author of the Amazon bestseller, 99 Things You Wish You Knew Before Going to Culinary School, and the co-curator of the PX 
plus hospitality festival let's talk about it a series of panel discussions focused on celebrating collaborating and changing the hospitality industry and the world at large prior to writing about the hospitality industry and travel for HuffPost and others, Regina covered human rights issues and women's issues and was a Hill lobbyist in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sherry. So so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And and yes, I know we're, we're like turning the tables on you a bit. <laughs> yes. Uh, interviewing you versus uh, you, you interviewing. You're usually used to being in my seat. Yes, I am very much. <laughs> I feel comfortable in your seat. <laughs> okay, well, you're gonna you're you're gonna be great in your seat. So I want to dive into your background. And I mean, Washington DC <laughs> lobbyist and um, so so maybe uh, we could start out a little where you grew up and and talk about like what led you into your career okay um, you know in in Los Angeles is where I grew up okay. my mother is all from California her family's all there my father came to California from Italy he's from a little town called Reggio Emilia in the north and um, he actually came to Italy after he was cooking. He was a chef, and he was on cruise ships for quite a few years, and the cruise ship stopped in Los Angeles. He got off for his half-day furlough, and he never got back on. So he decided he'd stay in the U.S. He found my, married my mother, and they had a restaurant, and so I grew up in the restaurant business. Oh, wow, amazing. Yeah. What I, type of restaurant? They actually had a French restaurant. Um, strangely enough, he wasn't a French chef. He was from Italy, mm-hmm. but back then you couldn't have a white tablecloth Italian restaurant. You, you kind oh, of had a choice between a steakhouse or a French restaurant. So they purchased a very nice French restaurant in Beverly Hills, and... They were quite young, mid-twenties, and they neither one of them went to university or culinary school or anything, but they were brilliant and talented and made it work. Wow, that's cool. So did that, I guess that planted a seed or something to what you do now, but you didn't, I don't know, what, what was your, your career path from, from leaving home and did you... Did you not want to be in the restaurant industry at the time? <laughs> well, I mean, I love being in the restaurant. I feel really at home in a restaurant, mm-hmm. actually. Um, but at university, I mean, I worked in other restaurants, not just my parents. And then through university, I was working in hospitality as well. And But afterwards, I ended up moving to D.C. And I got involved in NGOs and speech writing and lobbying because I, I picked up a great sense of... Um, I guess, ethical outrage. I just started seeing what was really going on in the world outside of my la-la land in in California. And um, I just realized that I I couldn't, you know, sit on the sidelines or just ignore what was going on in the world. So I, I got active quickly. And how long did you do that? And then what led you, I guess, out of that? Or, or did you... And- eventually you moved to New York? Yes, yes. Um, What led me into it is um, I started my own NGO, actually. um, And I was working for global human rights um, of indigenous peoples a lot. And that's how I got into lobbying, was I realized it's not just the bad guys who have lobbyists on the Hill. Everybody has a lobbyist on the Hill. Um, It's the only way that anyone hears about legislation. A congressman or a senator just has a million things in front of them. So someone has to go in there and give them a brief summary and a good argument for why they should vote for something. So I was quite good at it, and I quite enjoyed it. And I just kept going back for more and more, and then got into speech writing as well. And 
that was kind of my back door into journalism. I didn't go, you know, the regular path. So when did you start writing about food? When the Huffington Post started their food section, actually. Oh, um, okay. Ariana also worked with an NGO that I was working with, Second Chance Employment Services. And um, we worked a lot towards the economic empowerment of women who were victims of domestic violence um, or women who had stayed home for a very long time and not been employed. Try to go back in the workforce after not working for 10 years. Good right. luck to you. So that organization was focused very much on just finding jobs for women, connecting them to all the other organizations, but then finding them a job. So that's how through the... Um through the Huffington Post and their food section. I'm thinking back, I, re- I mean, I've been in this game a, a long time or probably about the same amount of time as you. Yeah, um, we what, go back what, a ways. Yeah, what year was that? Like 2000, I don't know, five? 11? Oh, later. 11, 12? Okay. Yeah, it was a little later. She started with just politics, and that's yeah. why I liked it because I knew I could write, you know, not just fluff, to be quite honest. I didn't want to just write about top 10 lists and, and what have you, so... I wanted to grill people. It was my background. So I just turned the focus on the industry. And, and it was at the right moment. I think the industry now is really willing to talk about issues. My parents' generation, they wouldn't have talked politics. They wouldn't have talked issues ever. But now people are really vocal, and that's really exciting. So that's always been your, I guess, your beat. Like, it's not, I hate to say, it's not the fluff <laughs> articles or the lists or I don't know the best ofs it's it's really more like serious journalism in a sense of getting diving deeper into stories yeah into people as well I really Mm -hmm. you know people say you're a food writer and I say no I don't write about food I write about the people who make the food or the people who serve the food or you know they think the food up um but yeah I, I, I like to get inside people's heads and see what makes them tick what their background is and what got them to where they are and and really inspire people through my stories because there's so many amazing stories out there to share yeah so are there any particular highlights that from back when you were at Huffington Post that stories that really I don't know favorites and also I know you you traveled a bit uh travel writing or travel food writing as yeah, well yeah 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 there was quite a few actually um I was thinking about this on the way over here, and I think my, one of my first media trips was it happened to be actually with Pichet Ong and Andy Ricker and Ben Mims, and the four of us went. Wow, to, yeah, that's a great crew. <laughs> it was a great crew. <laughs> <laughs> we were in Taiwan, and it was a long trip because they send you that you're not coming back three days later. You know, it's a long flight, so we I, were there I think for twelve days. And the four of us were just taken all over Taroko Gorge, Sun Moon Lake. I, I'd been to Asia, but never Taiwan, and I hadn't traveled with, you know, two, you know, <laughs> Pichet's such a great pastry I've, chef, and Andy's an amazing, you know, chef, so I, I, we were speechless at some times, because all of us were surprised by the food we were eating, and just the the beautiful landscapes we were seeing, and I think all of us were very moved on that trip, and really inspired. That's amazing. I've never heard. I didn't know you took that trip with them, but yeah. Yeah, it was super <laughs> fun. Special. I, I mean, I've traveled. I've traveled with Pichet before, so, um, but I haven't been to Taiwan, and it is on the list. Yeah. Oh, uh, you should go. Yeah. Great that, food. Yeah. Well, that's that's a highlight. I know. Also, you um, you went to Bocuse 
Dior in uh, Lyon. I did. I went the year that they got the silver. So ah, that was two years before the gold. And there was no other, not that I know of any American media on the ground there. But I had interviewed Daniel Balud about it. And because I'm very much, I like to support Mentor BKB and, and Careers of Culinary Arts Program, CCAP. So I was talking to him about you know, what he thought their chances were. And he was super excited. He was like, this is it, this is it. And I said, okay, I'm going to go. And I went and they, they took the silver nine points away from the gold. It's amazing. They took the silver and then they came back two years later and they took the gold. I mean, the whole, the whole story is, is quite something that they've, they, I mean, yeah, I, I'm sure it's funny. I'm sure there's like a disappointment that we got the silver, but no, it's like, it's, no, yeah. that was the clo- that's that's the best they'd done in all these years. You know, I mean, the Bocuse door has been around since 87 and I'd always wanted to go. And that was the first time I went. And it was just it was phenomenal to, to see those guys and and to see Thomas Keller as part of the jury. And I actually snapped this great image of him at one point where he's looking down the line of all the international jurists and he's he's really looking into their faces. He took a bite and you could tell he's thinking this is great. But what are they thinking? It was really a really good moment. That was a fun story to write for HuffPost. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'll give a I'll give a little teaser out there that I have an upcoming interview with Thomas Keller, um, and uh, we talked about Bacustior on it as well. And yeah. because they're they've they've had some um, exciting fundraising dinners and just the what's happening now, and it's definitely. It's, there's definitely so you you sense his from talking to him you know his his pride and his enthusiasm for it it's such a it's such a big it's a big deal you know for the yeah. US to be to be um, competing and working on it so. it is well they turned the team around they made it they made it something basically now they can compete so yeah absolutely yeah. well that's so cool you're there I was also thinking I have to go one year let's but go together let's go <laughs> I think it's the next one so I'd uh, 2021 right yep exactly all right right. we can we have time to plan we do (laughs) (laughs) okay so let's take a little break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk all about regina's uh new industry platform so stay with us this is only industry on heritage radio network This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that 90% of Wisconsin's milk is made into cheese? And this is not just any milk. When Swiss, German, and Italian cheesemakers first settled into Wisconsin, they chose their new home because of the special terroir of the region. Its soil and water are nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin produces 25% of all cheeses made in the U.S., and Wisconsin cheeses have won more awards than any other state or country in the world. How do they do it? Wisconsin cheesemakers combine their heritage and tradition with nonstop innovation. They were the first state to establish cheese grade standards and the first to require that every cheese plant be overseen by a licensed cheesemaker. Wisconsin is the only place outside of Europe where one can pursue an elite master cheesemaker certification. All of these impeccably high standards mean Wisconsin produces more than 48% of the nation's specialty cheese. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. 
I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Regina Veroli, and she is the founder and editor-in-chief of Cult Epi, which I wrote in my notes, a (laughs) new-ish culinary (laughs) industry platform. So let's talk about this new-ish platform and uh, what inspired you to to create it and, and... and exactly what is it in your own words? Okay, well, we, we did launch last year in February, so we're not two years yet, but we're, I guess, a year and a half now. Um, what inspired me was um, kind of getting annoyed, actually, at <laughs> the direction that I saw some some of the media going and and seeing so many articles being written about this industry by people who have never worked in it. Um, not mm-hmm. a day in the front of the house, back of the house, no position in any neck of hospitality. Yeah, and I feel you. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of like, I don't know, driving a car. Anyone who's going to ride for Motor Trend, you know, they, they got to drive a car. <laughs> you have to drive the fast car I, if you're going to ride I, about the fast car. I agree. <laughs> I agree in all, I even, to extend that even more, I, I mean, with... Yeah, with restaurant reviewers or like people covering the industry. I I think everyone should work in restaurants or have some. Yeah, that's my opinion as well. Yeah, some background. So so that's the first part of it. And the second part is what I mentioned before the break, which is that, you know, I finally got to marry my my whenever I'm around my food friends, I always say I cheat with on food with politics. And when I'm with my political friends, I I cheat on politics with food. So now I, I actually get to bring them all together in one place. And We all have this great big conversation about what's going on in the world, what's going on in the industry, but it's it's people who work in the industry that I'm I'm getting their voices and I'm curating those people to write. People who don't necessarily even think they're writers. I mean, some of our writers are best selling authors, others have never written anything before. They just, you know, are really active on social media and they've got such a great message and we reach out to them or they reach out to us and we say, Hey, you know, let's help you develop that into a long form and and you can make a positive impact because a lot of people in this industry are doing so much to change so many issues and move the needle in the right direction. Yeah, no, absolutely. And on your website, I love that you have uh, Publish Me uh, tag there or, or headliner, like people click on that and figure out how you can be a voice on your site. Yeah. You know, reach out. Yeah, exactly. We make it easy. We will help people however we can. I know a lot of people just don't consider themselves writers, but we're not looking for writers. There's a lot of websites, a lot of platforms for writers. Um, we're for people in the industry who want to write and who want to express themselves and are passionate about something. You know, also food. We're all passionate about food, but yeah. it's it's a lot of issues-based stuff. So so what, what are some of the stories that you've you've covered recently or that you've been most excited about? Um, Well, just uh, last week, we published a story um, from a server who is actually one of my newest interns who was writing about, you know, show your server some respect, you know, giving people who who have service jobs, who are waiter or waitress, the respect that they deserve. She just finished her master's from Columbia. And, you know, I I know friends in the industries who have PhDs and, and they've chosen this. They want to be in this industry. But even if you don't, even if you came straight out of high school and you want to be in this industry, you deserve respect. It's a hardworking job. It's a respectable job. And we see every day somebody coming into a restaurant and just treating you like you are their servant. And you know, that's something actually when I interviewed Dominique Krenz, she's like, I said to her, we have to think of a new word. Like, what's the word to call people? We started calling them servers, but 
that's too, you know, makes you sound like a servant. So I'm trying to think of a new word for that one. Well, you yeah. write about. Yeah. Um, Wait, I mean, waiter or waitress, I don't know. And yeah. I, I Yeah. I, I like server better. I know. I know exactly. <laughs> but it's we, a brainstorm session. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, well, we, we published uh, Miro Uskokovic from uh, Gramercy Tavern. He wrote about women's reproductive rights during the time of that bake sale that they were having, um, the bake sale for Planned Parenthood. Right. Um, I, I interviewed Padma Lakshmi about women's reproductive rights. Um, we published people on sustainable seafood, uh, chefs who went to Capitol Hill, actually, to meet with a bunch of representatives. Uh, Sammy Monsoor, a chef out of L.A., wrote about the experience of actually going to Capitol Hill and their chef's whites and meeting with congressmen and saying, hey, we need to do something about sustainable seafood. Um, so it's it's pretty diverse, all kinds of topics. Um, interviewed someone from Venezuela um, about how he's the owner of El Rey Chocolates, what's the chocolate industry going through in among all this meltdown in Venezuela? It's, it's terrible. And that is one of the best chocolate industries in the world. What are they doing? You know, how are they handling that? So that's, that's kind of a, you know, a little sampling for you, but go on the site and it's all over the map. You know, we really do have a lot of different topics. Yeah, you no, you certainly do. And, and I'll plug out a client I was working with, Cafe d'Avignon, um, yes. with Ulex and this story about a global refugee crisis and that came out on, on refugee global refugee day and that was um he shared yeah. he shared a lot you yeah. know it was a good it was a really good piece actually uh, ulix was he he blew me away too um one of one of those inspirational stories that after i i write it and publish it i i'm thinking about it for days and telling people about it for days and not just because i'm trying to publicize something but because i'm like no you need to you need to hear this person's story. You need to hear their take on what it's like to be a displaced person or an immigrant or a refugee and, you know, just suspend that judgment for a moment and try to put yourself in that person's place and it might open your eyes. He yeah. did a great job. I was he so did. proud. You, and your team did. You did. It was, yeah, yeah. People have to go check out your site. What's, it's, we'll do it at the end of the show, but it's it's called... C- yeah, C-U-L-E-P-I. If you Google that, C-U-L-E-P-I, we're what comes up. Um, it's short for Culinary Epicenter, but like Huffington Post had to shorten it to HuffPost, we took Culinary Epicenter, had to shorten it to Culepi, so... People need, need yeah, short. Yeah, we need concise. short. <laughs> Cool. So let's talk a little about this festival that you've also worked on as a co-creator, PX Plus Hospitality Festival. Tell me about it. <laughs> this this is really cool. It's just we had our second year in August. Um, I met the founders in Copenhagen over a lovely dinner about five years ago. I was brainstorming Kalepi, and Katie Bone is the, the one of the founders I met. She was brainstorming PX. She used to be the culinary director for Selfridges in London, the big department store, big famous department okay. store. And we were both just talking about how the industry is getting more vocal, is really wanting to address its own issues, but seeing that its issues are the world's issues and, and how powerful the industry is. You know, we're the largest, largest industry pretty much in the world is hospitality. We employ more people than any other industry, and yet where's our voice, you know, and... She's like, we need to do something where we have a grassroots um, event that's not just the famous people talking. You know, we want to bring in all kinds of people to have a discussion. And they came up with Celebrate Collaborate Change. 
And this year I was brought on for the second year to co-curate all the talks for Let's Talk About It, which is their main stage lineup of, of panel discussions. So we have big names. You know, Claire Smith is there. It was her second year. She was there. Um, Josiah Meldrum. Uh, gosh, the list goes on and so on. So you had uh, Will Goldfarb. Will Goldfarb was there. Exactly. In fact, he's going to be the next um, feature interview I publish on Kalepi as my interview with Will. Oh, amazing. But I I recently this year took a trip to Bali. I saw. I saw <laughs> and I was program. fortunate to go to Room for Dessert and see him and I did a, an interview with him there and yeah. it, was, it was sort of surreal. Like a, a pastry chef restaurateur from New York is now running a place in Bali and I'm there (laughs) eating and doing my podcast. (laughs) I have to go back for it. I love Bali. I've actually been before. Um, It's where I, strangely enough, where I was on September 11th, I was in Bali of all places, but I haven't been since he's had room for dessert. So, but I've seen him in New York and then I, I recruited him to come to PX and he spoke on two panels. One which was uh, called Don't Keep a Lid on It, and it was about opening up and talking about mental health issues, alcoholism, drug abuse, you know, harassment, all these things that go on and, you know, creating a conversation and a safe space for people to actually address the issues they're facing. And um, then he was on another panel of ours with Claire Smith, where we were talking about uh, the media industry, actually. I, I named it Investigating the Investigators. And we took a look at the changes in media over the last 10 to 15 years. Wow. Great, great topics, really. Great titles. <laughs> I'm sure they were really interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll, this is, so this is an annual festival now. And yes. where is it? It's in, it's in, it's in England, okay. outside of London. It's on a farm, a working farm called Duchess Farms. They produce rapeseed oil. And this year, well, not this year because we just had it. Next year is going to be August 14, 15, and 16. It's about a one-hour train ride outside of London, roughly an hour drive from uh, the airport. So it's easy to get to. And... People camp out. There's tents out there. There's glamping. You know, it's... <laughs> glamping. <laughs> it's a thing. Big. It's it's very popular now. It is, definitely. Um, and there's live music, and there's baking, and there's cooking, and there's, there's a lot that goes on. I've never helped put together anything of that magnitude. And they do all the heavy lifting. I really just plan all the talks, and... It's just so exciting to be a part of it. We had our second year. We're definitely we're definitely going to do it again next year. Already announced the dates. It sounds awesome. As I say about everything on my show, I'm always like, I want to go. I want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> you should. <laughs> I do. I get excited by by it. Sounds it sounds fantastic. And and just and for someone who does go to a lot of culinary festivals and events, like I haven't been to anything out in England and so yeah it would be exciting this is kind of the first one of its of its nature yeah. in England there hasn't been anything but we bring people you know there's people who come from all over Europe there's there was a there was more Americans this year than there were last year um our goal we hoped is to you know have a couple pop-ups in the U.S. at some point um so do like a little overnight yeah. in California and in New York so um but you know we're in our infancy stages so well congratulations thank you Okay, before we take a break, let's do my question from last week that I have for you. Um, On episode 226, I had on Scott Conant, chef, restaurateur, TV personality, and he, uh, we're going to play back his question. I would ask her what, um, 
you know, of the stories that she's heard, what are some of the, you know, what are the most, what's one of the most inspirational and also what's one of the most horrific? Because we all have, you know, being in the industry for so long, we all have these stories and I find them fascinating. It's nice to hear from Scott. I interviewed him years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was nice to interview him too. We did it by phone, but it was, uh, it was a good one. He's, I've gotten to know him over the years just from going to festivals, really, and going to his restaurant. So, yeah, I love that he called his restaurant Scarpetta because people in the U.S. don't realize what Scarpetta is, and and like when when you go to a restaurant, like we don't want to give you bread, it's going to fill you up. I'm like, well, first of all, (laughs) you're not going to fill me up if you give me bread, and second of all, what am I supposed to pick the sauce up with? You know, in in this in this pasta, the pasta's gone, the sauce is still there, and I need my Scarpetta. So that was nice to yeah, make made sense. Yeah, exactly. So it's 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 a good question because it's hard to answer. So that's always a good question. I think um, the cringeworthy or like the most horrid story. There's a lot of them, unfortunately. But recently, um, Bonnie Morales, who's a chef out in Portland, she she wrote the story for Calepi. Actually, some some vandals had started carving swastikas in her restaurant, oh, and yeah, she's Jewish, that, yeah. and it was horrific it was horrible um she just could not believe it you know you think Oregon it's it's you know forward thinking and um she's like you know she when she got into it in that article I was surprised I was like my eyes were really open I didn't know the history of that part of the country um but it was also inspirational because she turned around and did something about it and she got vocal and she was like no I'm not going to take this lying down um I really respected her for that that was I can't even imagine. Um, Another story I heard recently was actually at PX, and it was a woman who worked in the front of the house at a nice restaurant. It was owned by a woman, and she's very good with her staff. She encourages everyone to come forward, to talk, be open. It turned out one of the best customers they had was, you know, constantly kissing her on the lips, even in front of his wife. And he's a, you know, high roller, spends a lot of money, so she never said anything. She would just... Let mm-hmm. this man kiss her on the lips. And it was just so, just so like gross. Like one of those things you hear where you're like, well, what is even, you know, that's awful. But the awful part is she, even in a restaurant where she was empowered, didn't say anything. You know, someone finally witnessed it and said, what the hell was that? She's like, it's okay. You know, it's happened before. And like, no, that's, that's actually not okay. And yeah. if it's happened before, you need to tell us because we have the right to refuse business to anyone. She's like, oh, be such a good customer. Like, no, that's not cool. Like, really? And this is just a couple months ago. So there's still lots of, you know, lots of work to be done, actually. Yeah, um, absolutely. And inspirational stories are so many because that's really all I've gone out for in my life. Like, as a journalist, I just, I, I see a lot of people in the world who struggle, um, I grew up um, in a challenging environment and I watched a lot of people struggle. And so I'm very motivated to give those people something for them to grab onto. So, you know, there's a lot of fantastic chefs in the world and everyone can write about their food or whatnot. I want to find the people who've, you know, just been in the weeds and somehow got out. And so there's a lot to write about. Um, most recently, um, I was very inspired by Dominique Crenn and what she's doing with her battle mm-hmm. with breast cancer. Yeah. She's really reaching out to other women who are battling breast cancer and 
you know, she is an inspiration and that is something I greatly respect. And also I met a man, I put him on one of my panels at PX. He's a refugee from Syria and Mohammed ended up in England cooking because he's a political scientist, but he couldn't get a job as a political scientist. So he was volunteer cooking at a place where people had been injured. One of his best friends had had both legs broken in a conflict, um, and they were both refugees. So when he came to England, he has Mo's eggs, if you want to find them on social media. And he did the Refugee Food Festival, so that's how I found him. And he went up on that stage, and he just started talking, and he... I don't think there was a dry eye in that audience. Everyone was just teary-eyed hearing his story. And to see him up there in his broken English and just so much strength, so much like, this is me, I'm not giving up, and everyone needs to know what it's like to be a refugee. And he had only been in England a year, so this was a very intense moment for him. And that just made me feel like, wow, you know, people like that, they just, they, they give me a reason to get up in the morning, honestly. You know, that's what, that's what I live for, is, is getting yeah. that message out. Wow. Great question. Great answers. Really, seriously. I'm, like, inspired listening to you. <laughs> Thank you. So, it's their stories. Yeah, I just tell them. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great. I, I think it's amazing you have, you, you've created a platform and you're telling these stories. And, yeah, good for you. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so let's take another break, and then we're going to come back, and we will play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is Only Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Katie Kiefer, and I'm the host of What Doesn't Kill You here on HRN. Every week, I sit down with journalists, authors, scientists, or activists to identify and explain some of the key issues in our food system. I've done shows on food waste, labor issues, meat production, water, you name it, I cover it. You can find What Doesn't Kill You wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Regina Veroli. It's time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I name a few things and you get to pick your preference. Oh, okay. Such as chocolate or vanilla. That's my example. Oh, can I answer that? Sure. Vanilla. All right. See, you're, you're going to be great at the game. You got, you did well. There's no rules. There's no right or wrong. <laughs> well, good, because I'd probably break them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Mocktail at the moment. Alrighty. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Oh. Oh, I stumped you finally. <laughs> you did. <laughs> Depends on the place. Um, communal table. Okay. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Well, all-inclusive, but I still tip on top of it. Because you're in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> and you worked in restaurants. Yes. Okay, a few more. Writing or editing? Editing at the moment. 
I really enjoy it. Oh, good. Interviewing or being interviewed? <laughs> being interviewed. This has been fun. Uh, oh, fun. That makes me feel good that I'm doing a good job. Or good enough that you're happy. <laughs> you are. Okay. I've been run away. <laughs> um, cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. <laughs> like sentimental Manhattan. Yeah. Well, we're in Brooklyn and I love yeah. Brooklyn, yeah. but I live in Manhattan. I do too. So, well, that's a game. You were, you were quick. Yeah. You know what, you know what you like a little, you like communal table and chef's counter, but don't we all? Um, I'd like to have a communal yeah. table in the kitchen. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> okay. So industry news, uh, one of the articles I picked out is in the New York times and it came out yesterday about how the James Beard awards is, is shaking up a bit its restaurant award regions. The title was the James James Beard Awards redraws its map. California, Texas, and New York will become their own regions for the competition, reflecting shifts in population and dining. This is by Kim Severson. So it's, um, yeah, I think they, you know, they make changes uh, with any, anything on the organization awards. Um, but the, the, I guess the sum it up was their, they're, they've um, opened it up to 12 regions versus 10, which is adding 40 new restaurants, bars, and chefs that are um, available to, to be on the list. So, and they, 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 you know, they're mixing up their, you know, giving California and Texas their own category because they're, they're big states. Yeah. Big regions. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that, New York City was its own category, and now New York City is a part of New York State. And I really, I read that in out loud. I said, "Oh," <laughs> because I think, <laughs> I think, over the, you know, New York City has. I mean, there's a lot of talent here, and there's a, there's. I think you know. I, I know they looked at this, and they look at the demographics, and they, and I'm, I. Like, I trust in their process that they figured out what makes the most sense. But I thought it was interesting, you know? Yeah. I think it's good. Um, I, I'm i all for expanding exposure. Um, I've always had a beef, I think, with the fact that uh, Michelin Guide actually doesn't do New York City and it's, uh, you know, environ, whereas uh, San Francisco is the San Francisco Bay Area. So mm-hmm. you get to get, you know, French laundry in that guide, but we don't get, you know, if in the New York City guide, um, I know this is a, we were talking about um, James Beard, but it's yeah, that, that no, expansion no, it's with Michelin Guide, they don't, they don't let, um, look, Blue Hill at Stone Barnes is not in New York City. So, you know, Blue Hill at Stone Barnes just doesn't qualify to have any Michelin stars and to me that's like why you know it's actually closer distance wise to New York City than French Laundry is and I think that they should like they do with the Bay Area you know San Francisco Bay Area it's there's so many amazing restaurants that aren't just in San Fran they expanded it and that's brilliant they should but they they should do the same thing for New York because there's so much going on in Westchester it's like all the farms up there all the wines up there and they just kind of stick to New York City. So when right. I saw the expansion, I, I'm glad California for, you know, James Beard is going to be its own region. Um, I'm from there originally, and I, I think there's so much going on that it deserves to be its own region. Texas as well, it's huge. Um, my yeah. niece my niece just moved there to go to grad school. So, 
she was excited. She's like, I'm going to go down there and eat our way through Texas. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And maybe it's, I don't know if New York City is the only city that has its own category. It's, you know, I don't know if that's elitist or what that is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, New York, obviously the state of New York was in categories. They were a part of the Northeast section. Um, so yeah, they just changed it up a little bit to what makes the most sense um, with the current I don't know, Mitchell Davis is quoted in the article. He says, it's more reactive to the reality of what the country is right now with, with how they were, you know, how they came up with, with this new formula. So Yeah. Well, change is good. Change is when good. It's good. change. Change is good. So um, that's, that's that. The other article I had was on Grub Street about how Bon Appetit's 10 Best New Restaurants in America, their list just came out. The article was by... Nikita Richardson, and also the Hot 10 this year, which Winnipeg does, um, Julia Kramer with Emil Stanek uh, compiled the list. Uh, Andrew Knowlton kind of passed the baton over to, to Julia, who was doing it with him for a while. But I always find it interesting to see, you know, who they pick on their top 10. Yeah. Did you do you get a chance to, to look at the list? Yeah, I did. I was happy the number one's in LA this year. Cone B. <laughs> and they, Bon Appetit tends to go casual or more casual with their best of lists and this is a japanese sandwich yeah restaurant. Yeah, yeah i like that i like that their lists are something that we can all you know dig into and it's not something where it would take you know saving up for a month to go and have that meal i like something more egalitarian and more that definitely is yeah. yeah and um i when i look at these lists also though this is just the way my brain works. Like I saw the 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 restaurant in New York City that's on the list this year, yeah. and Copet like, Tam. Yeah, I'm like they reopened after they had to move and they had to close because they lost their lease because their their rent right, was too high. Right. Like you know these landlords, it's just like oh well, we're just going to charge you eighty thousand dollars a month now for your rent, and and it just brought me back to thinking, God, yeah, you know that's so unfair. We need something to like regulate this whole restaurant had to close and find another place and hire and rehire people and. All of that just because, you know, someone wanted $50,000 for rent, which is astronomical. Yeah, and I'm thinking that's another story for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you've thought about that. Yeah. Um, and I, I really I really like Kopitiam. It's a Malaysian coffee shop. I mean, it's, you know, it's yeah. not, not traditional, which, um, yeah, and it's delicious. It's really, really good. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. I always... I'm more, I always know a bit more about what's happening in New York City from living here. So I think these lists are great for, you know, to, 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 to know what's happening in other parts of the country that, that have impressed food writers and people I trust. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, lists can be challenging sometimes for restaurateurs, though, because if you are somewhere where you really are like off the map, off the radar, um, it's challenging to get your food in front of them um, yeah. because you know you may be you may be in Nowhereville and and somebody's like hey I'm here I'm making great food and but I think that this list is very diverse they do have you know a lot of the the different cities around but it's a big country it's it's it hard it's it's no, a difficult it's, one it, it is hard it's subjective it's all of that but at the same time it's like you know it's it's good to have I think as you know it's it's good to give. Um, recognition and yeah and we refer to them i mean we do need Mm -hmm. our lists there's a place for them we do do some lists too (laughs) yeah okay there are a place for lists exactly (laughs) so um yeah congratulations to everyone and then before we take a break just one 
other shout out I want to give to Kushba Shaw. She has just been named Food and Wine Magazine's new restaurant editor. Uh, there was a big article in the New York Times about it, and and Kushba. Kushboom comes from uh, Thrillist, she, where she was the senior food editor, and I've I've worked with her before, and she's she's awesome. And they're she's going to be covering the magazine from Los Angeles. They oh. said they they have a new bureau out there, which is you know a big move also for food and wine. So yeah, a lot of things are moving out to LA. Yeah, LA's happening. I know. Okay, so one more break, and then uh, we're going to come back. I'm going to have my solo dining experience, and we will ask the final question. So this is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. But first, I am going to give you the address of Tail Up Goat, which was my solo dining experience last week, and I didn't have it. But I know I don't need to do this, but I'm going to. It was 1827 Adams Mill Road, Northwest, in Washington, D.C. It's in the Adams Morgan neighborhood. So that was on episode 226, my solo dining at Tail Up Goat. This week, I went to Lamasan. I don't know if it's Yamasan or Lamasan, but I'll spell it for you. It's L-L-A-M-A, new word, S-A-N. Here's the rundown. The location, 359 6th Avenue, West Village, New York City. The concept, Nikea cuisine, cross between Japanese and Peruvian. The chef and owner, Eric Ramirez, and the beverage director, Lynette Marrero. So why did I go? So I was down nearish uh, the restaurant. I had been at Lupa's 20th anniversary party, which was a really great celebration. And um, afterward, I was I just I was a little hungry, so I decided I'd stop by. So my experience it was it was after 8:30. I think it was even close close to nine. Uh, I walked in. I got a seat at the bar. I ran into Lynette right away, which was great because we got to catch up. She came on my show back on episode 170. She's the co-founder of Speed Rack, um, and she's doing she's doing the, the beverage program there. So we caught up. Um, I think word got back to Eric that I was up front, so he came out and said hi, and it was it was nice um, having a moment to catch up with him. So what did I get? I had the Hamachi Tiradito. With uni, coconut, and matcha. I also had the aged duck breast nigiri with cilantro, banana, and nasturtium. Mm. And I had their version of a surf and turf, which was lobster, beef heart, hoshikari rice, and aji panka. So my take 
Hamachi was unbelievable. Really fresh, delicious. I loved it. Um, I, the duck was really tasty as well. Actually, Eric had sent that out, so I was I, I had I ended up having more food than I needed um, for this meal. But it was it was it was great and great to get to to try it. And the surf and turf, I, I really enjoyed as well. The lobster um, was was my favorite part. It was delicious. The ambiance. So it's a Japanese minimalistic aesthetic with light woods. Uh, there's a bar up front, dining in the back. It's about 60 seats, and there's an open kitchen. And this space was formerly Seamus Mullins Tertulia, which was, I had been there many years ago. It was dark and rustic, uh, so they, they lightened it up. I'd say it's perfect for solo dining or date night. Interesting tidbit. So unfortunately, the, a small kitchen fire broke out in the restaurant uh, from the, the wood-burning grill, and, and it caused delays. They had a problem with their, getting their gas turned on. So it was supposed to open many months ago. So they, they finally got open, and that's just another problem with the restaurant industry. It's so hard to get open. But they got open, and um, and luckily, you know, no one was hurt. So it was... Um, it was unfortunate, but it could have been worse, so I'm glad it wasn't. Personal fun fact. Eric and I were both presenters at the Worlds of Flavors conference back in 2017 in Napa. And uh, while I was there, also, uh, we talked about going uh, to Mido. I have actually had a solo dining experience in Mido, Lima, Peru, which is another Nikea uh, Peruvian Japanese restaurant, and it's probably one of my favorite meals I've ever had. So it was cool. You know, Eric has that, that connection as well. So the cost of the meal was $56. That's not including tip or um, tax. And it's also not including the duck that was comped. Would I go back? Yes, I would. And their website is LamaNYC.com. LamaSanNYC.com. Sorry. There you go. Do you know Eric? Now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> His food's great. He's a really great chef. He has. He also has Llama Inn and Lamita mm-hmm. are his. So. Mm-hmm. Oh. All right. So Yum. I made you hungry. So that's good. Yeah. It's a great spot. Okay. It's time for the uh, final question. So this is pretty cool. Um, my next guest is Josh Emmett. And Josh is a chef from New Zealand who I know from his time when he was working for Gordon Ramsay at the London in New York City. Mm-hmm. And he has he has a bunch of restaurants, and one of them is in Queenstown. It's called Rada. And I celebrated my 40th birthday at this restaurant many years ago. And so um, he has a bunch of he has a he has, he has a few restaurants in New Zealand. He's gonna be in New York because he has a new book coming out. So he's gonna be here. In the studio, he's also a judge on MasterChef New Zealand. He's very well established, and he's cool. So he's coming on the show. Um, cool. What would you like to ask him? Um, I wanted to ask him about sustainability. Um, I know New Zealand has a lot of good policies um, about sustainability, um, as far as farming or fishing or not using pesticides. And his restaurant, um, you know, makes a point of trying to be a sustainable restaurant. So I would like to know from him, Josh, what do you think is something that you could export to the U.S. from New Zealand as far as ideas for what restaurants can do to be more sustainable since we are all facing a climate crisis? It's a great question, and I have a feeling he's going to have a great answer. I'll have to 
tune in and see. Uh, but yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's the show. So um, it's yeah, it goes by fast, right? Kind yeah. of just flies right on by. I know. Um, but congratulations on your whole career and taking the leap to start, you know, your own site and cover all the stories that you are. Is I think it's really really important and cool. Thank you. Thanks very much. You're welcome. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So my guest today has been Regina Veroli. She's the founder and editor-in-chief of Cult Epi. And her website, again, you want, it's... Uh, you can do www.culepi.com. Culepi.com. There you go. And you can follow her on social media at regina.veroli. Or I think one of your handles is just Regina Veroli and Colepi Center. Yeah, I'm not that active yet, but that's okay. <laughs> social, social. I'm active. I have more accounts than, than need be. But yeah, I follow too. <laughs> so I'm, I'm at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. And you can also find all of our shows archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Jeet, and thanks to Regina for joining me. So next week, I'm not doing a show. I'm skipping next week. We will have a fabulous rerun. And then on Wednesday, October 2nd, my guest will be Josh Emmett. So I hope you'll tune in then. And uh, thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Thank you, Sherry. Bye. Thanks. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.